I'm Kyle Unruh, and this is Another Round of Thoughts. This week, I am feeling a bit under the weather, and so my drink of choice is not an alcoholic drink. It is a rejuvenating drink of oolong tea with honey and lemon, which admittedly, well, maybe doesn't have less street cred than the White Claw that I had last week, (laughs) but it definitely isn't the cool bar drink. But hey, that just goes to show that you don't need alcohol to have a good time. Or to you know hang with people at a bar. So uh, you do you. Uh, stay in moderation, and hopefully my voice sounds okay coming through. It's mostly just like a nasal thing. Okay, so that's that disclaimer out of the way. I feel like my episodes are half disclaimer, half content. Maybe that'll go down in time. We'll see. Just don't at me on Twitter. We do have a Twitter though, so do reach out on Twitter. Just don't at me on Twitter. So for this week's episode, I want to do more on the Blackjack episode from last week. And I want to do this kind of as a maybe a test run for a new type of episode series. I want to call these like the top shelf series. And it's going to be a deep, deeper dive into the analytical techniques that I use to kind of put this stuff together. Because I did a ton of analysis. I spent a ton of time on it. And there are a few things that I think I was a little light on. And It worked out well last week for a casual overview. Let's look at, you know, how do we approach a blackjack table? What strategy do we use? But in terms of making the distinctions and the effectiveness of some of the constraints, there's a few different analytical techniques that I use that I think would be cool to go over. And I'm excited to share those with you guys. And so, you know, that's also part of this podcast that excites me is, you know, a chance to flex and grow my analytical skills and be able to present those in a way that, you know, helps me communicate those better. And so, I mean, this will always be a casual laid back data exploration podcast, but I'd like to take this opportunity every now and then to kind of do an under the hood deep dive into the techniques that I use to put this stuff together. This is really what fuels my passion for technology, society, and life is the ability to look at data this way. And so I want to share that with you guys through these top shelf series episodes with no holding back, right? And also, I'll be sure to call out these top shelf episodes at the beginning so that if this is something that you're not interested in or like I had enough blackjack data for one sitting (laughs) for one lifetime, then you can skip them without having to listen to them all. So you can kind of pick and choose. But I'm going to throw these in every now and then. So the first top shelf topic that I want to talk about is exploring that table limit that I mentioned in the simulation. So this was one of the constraints why Martingale doesn't work in the long run. And this is something that the casinos have figured out and they put in both to cover you in some ways because they're like, yeah, don't put $100,000 down on one hand. Save your money. But this is really to help them make sure that, you know, that you can't keep doubling your bet if you have a high enough bankroll that you'll eventually bankrupt the casino doing this. So we found in the raw simulated data that the Martingale strategy was dominant, but that result was misleading because of the table limit. And as we just covered, table limits prevent bets above certain levels. And so I coded in the simulation updates to include a table limit at 500 times the minimum bet. This means that you can only bet 500 times 
you know, what a unit one bet would be. So what this means is if you're at a $10 table, the maximum would be $5,000. And this is just pulled from a conglomerate of data I could find online about table limits. And this is what is common at the Cosmopolitan Casino on the Strip. It's $10 minimum tables with $5,000 maxes. And coding this in was super interesting in that Martingale strategy with the table limit was still dominant at first, but it trails off significantly over the long term. And it got to the point where I'm able to quantify the amount of the percentage of hands that have been kind of diminished for the Martingale strategy because of this table limit. So looking at the numbers, we can see that the Martingale strategy, again, going towards the 1,000 hands has 95 to 97% of them having a positive profit at the end. That's without the table limit. With the table limit, we have 60% of them having a positive profit. And that means that the contributing factor to the profitability of the Martingale strategy, 30% of that is due to a table limit. And in fact, 30% you could expect a 30% increase in your profit if there was no table limit, all else equal. In fact, 37%, which is super, super significant. And this is an interesting application of a math concept called the law of large numbers. And so I found a, a cool definition of the law of large numbers that I think is, is interesting, especially with this application. And I quote, in probability theory, the law of large numbers is a theorem that describes the result of performing the same experiment a large number of times. According to the law, the average of the results obtained from a large number of trials should be close to the expected value and will tend to become closer as more trials are performed. And this is super significant, especially the end and will tend to become closer as more trials are performed. And this can be seen with the Martingale strategy with the limit in place, because we see the Martingale strategy with the table limit in place trending closer and closer to that uh, house edge, you know, 50.5% versus 49.5% table edge over time than we do with the Martingale strategy without the table limit. So what does this all mean? It means the basic strategy, basic strategy being, again, you just bet the minimum amount each time, no matter what happens, is the purest form of blackjack, meaning this reaches the law of large numbers steady state for blackjack fastest, right? The Martingale strategy delays this a bit by adding that variation and changes in the bet. We do have to give it credibility for that and that in the short term, Assuming that things go your way, you might be able to get a profit from Martingale. But what this means is that the weight of breaking the losing streak is heavier than the weight of winning a hand. And that's how the law of large numbers is so you know, prolonged for the Martingale strategy without these constraints. It's almost like we would have seen better results if we did maybe 100,000 hands, a million hands a billion hands, a trillion hands, maybe, we would have seen these losing streaks in the Martingale strategy that wouldn't have made it to be at 97% profitable. Over time, the law of large numbers says that the Martingale strategy would eventually, with all else equal, hit the same limit 
as the basic strategy, we just didn't do enough testing. We didn't do enough hands. And that's the power of having these constraints that casinos put in is that having the table limit made us approach that much more quickly. At the end of the thousand hands, instead of having 95 or 97 percent profitable, we only had 60 percent profitable. So this is a clear indicator of how casinos make money. This is one of their biggest secret weapons is having this table limit at every single table. The next top shelf topic I want to cover is a smarter way to do the Oscars strategy. Admittedly, in the last episode, I kind of disregarded the Oscar strategy because it just performed really, really bad. And it's true. It was the worst performer. But also, it was a really stupid application of the strategy and really unrealistic. I mean, who in their right mind would let it ride for winnings after being on a 20 plus hand winning streak? I mean, at some point, you're going to say, OK, I've pressed my luck enough. I'm going to pull back and kind of reset and just kind of bank some things here and there along the way. And so that's what I decided to add to the simulation. I added the potential or parameter for the Oscar strategy to bank winnings after either a three win streak, a four win streak or a five win streak. And what this means is that you do the Oscar strategy until you hit one of those three, four or five increments for wins. After you win, let's say you're let's say we're a, a three win streak player. So let's say you you play a hand and you win, then you keep your bet on the table and you win again. And you keep everything on the table and you win again. Then that's the third win. And then after that, you pull everything back and then you start over at your basic bet again. So the idea here is to do Oscar strategy to say, yeah, winning streaks are great. We should capitalize. But. I'm not an idiot, and I know they're not going to last forever. So using this Oscars strategy with either three, four, or five hand wins in terms of win streaks, I did the simulation again, and I compared this against the basic strategy. Again, the basic betting strategy is our baseline, and it's perfect to compare any of these uh, strategies against. And this is something that really good analyses do is they identify a base case that has the least constraints, the least variables to give you kind of a, a metric to compare against. And in some ways, the basic strategy is the basic form of Oscars in that your win streak is one. You reset back to your beginning every one hand. What I'm doing is saying instead of one hand, it's three hands or four hands or five hands for doubling. So this was a really cool analysis. And what I found is that, you know, the Oscar strategy still isn't great. And I think that comes down to the house still having the edge in the game. The Oscar strategy doesn't deal with the house edge at all. The only strategy that deals with the house edge is the card counting strategy. Um, and so the basic strategy is still the biggest performer in terms of a thousand hands. What can you expect in terms of profitability? So the closest thing that Oscars came to was if you use a four hand win streak, you do better than three or five. So it seems like four is kind of the lucky number for you if you want to do an Oscars betting strategy. But still, it's a poorer performer in the long run compared to the basic strategy. So if your priorities as a gambler are to make your money last then the basic strategy is better than Oscars. If you want to have some of those really high highs and you know have enjoy winning streaks and you're kind of looking for the adrenaline of Oscars, 
you can do best with a forehand win streak. So after you win your fourth hand, pull your bet back down to the basic level. But again, you're going to pay a premium for that. It's not going to make you a winner in the long run. Before I get into the last top shelf topic, I want to let you guys know that for these top shelf series, I am publishing all of my analysis to the website. So I have made a bunch of graphs that show all the data that I've put together for this. And you guys can play around with it. I have some sliders and some input boxes so you can really look at the data and really interpret it for yourself as well. You can see where all the numbers that I'm referencing are coming to, and this is on the website. And the reason I wanna do this is because some of the visualizations are really powerful, and they're things that you can look for in articles and other studies that you might run across to see kind of how robust their analysis is. I mean, any feedback you guys have on kind of consuming this data, let me know. I want this to be as both you know concise and clear as possible while giving exactly you know the truth that's required here for this data. So the third top shelf topic is a, a look at the study of you know median quartiles and variance in the distributions of max betting for the Martingale strategy. And this is how I came up with um, the second limitation of Martingale, the first being the table limits, which we covered earlier this episode, and the second being the required bankroll to kind of withstand the losing strategies. The best way I thought about actually using this type of analysis for median quartiles and variances is in terms of, you know, actually using these strategies in terms of how much of my original bankroll is at stake each hand. So in other words, if I show up with $500, how much of that $500 will I have to risk each hand in order to keep playing, excluding the winnings? Okay, so the basic strategy is easy. It's always just one unit, win or lose, right? So $500, if it's a $5 minimum, $5 is what I what I bet each time, no matter what. Oscars is also the same as the basic, if you think about it, because even if your bet doubles each time, it's not doubling from your bankroll, it's doubling from your winnings. And so each time, even if your, your bet is up to four, eight, or 16 times what it originally was, 15 of those 16 are coming from the house winnings and only one is coming from your original bet. So that's also still one unit. Card counting is similar, but with a little twist. Most general cases, you're just betting the minimum until the card count gets high enough for you to increase your bet. And then it's kind of like a step function. So going from one unit, the simulation goes up to 20 units. So if it's a $5 table, you keep betting $5 until you've done your count in a certain way that says, okay, now I need to bet more because it's in my favor. So it's either between $5 and $100. The Martingale strategy is where this really starts to blow up and visualizing this distribution is super powerful and showing how misleading this betting strategy is. And a type of plot that's really, really useful for this and also very concise is a violin plot and it, it's called a violin plot because what you do is you take each data point that you want and you plot it vertically in one axis and then it gets kind of a width to it based on the number of observations at that level. So if you have a bunch of observations at one level, it gets really wide. And if you have a few observations at the top, it gets very, very narrow. So you can visualize it almost like it looks like a violin, which is why it's called a violin plot. You know, a violin has 
a long skinny top and then it kind of gets big towards the bottom. That's a way to visualize this type of distribution and kind of see how skewed the data is for the Martingale strategy. And so if you go to the dashboard on the website, you'll see the violin plot for the, the Martingale strategy. And a few metrics that are interesting to take away is the median, the quartiles, and kind of just the overall shape. The data points we use to create this violin plot are the 100 players that are playing the Martingale strategy. We look at their largest losing streak and we plot that data point in terms of the bet that's required. So there are a total of 100 data points that make up this distribution and the shape is the wider it is, the more common the distribution is at that point. So the more observations we have and the taller it is, the skinnier it is, the fewer observations we have, but the longer losing streaks that that player had. So a few interesting metrics are the median. First is the median, which is the middle kind of balancing point for the distribution, and that's at 1,024. And a way to interpret this is without any other context about the distribution, this is a type of expectation. And using this with the mean, which is less than 1,024, you can understand the skew of the distribution, which is kind of the shape, how long the tail is. So the median here is 1,024, which equates to an eight-hand losing streak, which is the number I referenced in last episode. And how I got there was looking at this violin plot. What this means is that if you're just walking up to a table and you don't know anything else going in, but you know this distribution of data, you can expect over the course of a thousand hands to have a losing streak that will put you at 1,024 times your original minimum bet in order to keep playing. And so that for a $5 table comes out to about $5,000. And that just shows you kind of at you know the expected value, the expectation at this level in terms of the median, you know, it's not... <laughs> this is not a cheap strategy. So that's how I came up with the second limitation to Martingale being that people just don't have enough money to keep it up. It's also interesting to look at the quartiles. And this shows kind of the, you know, bottom 25% to upper 75%. And this is kind of a normal range. So if you want to take the median a step further, you can say, okay, so I know the median, but... You know, this is average case. Uh, what what can I expect for like a wider range? And so looking at quartiles is, is a way to do it. So the lower quartile, 25%, is 256. And the higher 75% quartile is 2048. So what this means is that 75% of our observations had a maximum losing streak that required 2048 times the minimum bet or less. So you can have pretty good confidence at that level that you're not going to have to do more than a 2,048 times bet, <laughs> uh, which isn't great or cheap, but it is better than, you know, saying that it's infinite. So you have a little bit of information there. And then kind of the most common is the 25% quartile, which is at 256 times. So um, that's about $1,000 at a $5 table. So 25% of our observations got away with 1,000 hands 
only having to bet a thousand dollars at one point. So if you have a thousand dollars, you're ready to put down on one hand of blackjack. You can do Martingale for a while, but there's only a 25% chance over the course of a thousand hands that you're going to stay within your bankroll. So it's still not necessarily the strategy you want to use. So the top shelf thought here is that the distribution of data and observations is super important. It's not just one observation that matters. And anytime you see a study or a statistic that just says the average is this, you should take it with a grain of salt because the upper and lower quartiles there can show you how far away the average is from what you can expect. And this is super, super powerful. And any anyone that's just reporting these point statistics, such as, oh, just one number or just, you know, this is the maximum or this is the minimum, they're missing the point. And so the the urge here is whenever you're looking at analysis, ask about the distribution, ask to see a violin plot, ask to see something more about the data so you can see where the middle is where the upper 75% is and where the lower 25% is. And that will help you make better decisions. All right. Thanks for tuning in to this first episode of Top Shelf from another round of thoughts. Uh, Feedback on this is going to be super crucial from you guys. So please go to the website, anotherroundofthoughts.com and send me a note. There's a contact box at the bottom of the of the homepage that you can use or send me an email directly another round of thoughts at gmail.com or reach out to me on Twitter at another round of thoughts. Again, did you guys like this content? Is this something you want more of? Is there something that wasn't clear? Some of this is just, again, my initial take to analysis and I want to make it approachable. So if anything was not approachable, then let me know and uh, we'll make it better. All right. So thanks for sticking around. Again, finish your drinks because the next round's on me.